Let's say you have been feeling stuck. Maybe because there are some inner obstacles that have been holding your back, such as this feeling of not being good enough or not being able to have what you want. Or you have been feeling unsafe in the world, always looking over your shoulder, always wondering when the next shoe gonna drop or somebody gonna reject you or criticize you. Did you know that a lot of those issues that you may have been dealing with are not just coming from your history, but can be passed down transgenerationally from your ancestors, parents, grandparents, and so on. I'm talking about beliefs and patterns that we are unconsciously inheriting and unfortunately often also stay stuck with. Well, this is a topic of today's show, and I have invited two fabulous guests for this. They have a program called Training Camp for the Soul. It's Anat Perry and Chris Mahefka, who have been created this system of transformation through healing transgenerational trauma. So without further ado, I'm going to welcome them. Welcome to Get Real with me, Dr. Friedman. If you want to live with greater purpose, authenticity, and empowerment, this is your time to upgrade your belief systems, unlock your true potential, and discover the endless possibilities of you becoming the creator of your life. Well, Anat and Chris, thank you so much for joining me today on Get Real. And I just wanted to jump right into your training camp for the soul company concept. Just such an amazing name. So what is this all about? Anad, why don't you share that? Uh, we are a transformational company that's here to help normalize healing trauma for people to know that um, it's not who they are. It's what they learned. And if they can if they learned it they can unlearn it so really the the practices and the ways to truly heal and uh discover ourselves again and chris how did you come up both of you with the training camp for the soul does the soul need training or why why was that name chosen <sighs> not i'll let you take this one too yeah so um chris was actually a, a client of mine when uh uh training camp for the soul had already been in existence for a couple of years so um but uh my my previous business partner he named it so it used to be called journey to love because that's actually what it is the experience mm. of it is the journey to love to self-love but uh um yeah he he coined it that name and um i'd say it's very fitting it is a period of time where we all need uh we we need that training ground we need that practice to remember how to engage with our highest self i love it and uh, i think part of what you're doing also is really helping people to understand more their emotions and chris you help men to be more available to their emotions. So why do you think men have often such a hard time with that? Mm. So we learned <laughs> almost universally. 
And um, in just being an example and a model for it is I think the way that I, I show them that it's possible and not only just possible, but the greatness and the beauty of life that's on the other side of actually getting in touch with it. Um, because it's something as humans, men, women, <laughs> we all experience. It's all just a natural part of living this life. And um, at least for me and for many of the men that resonate with what I'd say, uh, that wasn't modeled for us. Our fathers weren't modeling, our uncles, our grandfathers, they were all modeling, uh, suppressing and what, what I would have called keeping it all together <laughs> mm -hmm. to, to be the strong one and to um, always be there for others when uh, that's such a beautiful part when you're operating from the healed masculine, but when you're not honoring and acknowledging what's there for you, at least for me, I was showing up as a shell of myself. I was showing up as, as a, uh, an artificial version because I wasn't really honoring what was inside for me. And um, yeah, I think it's just a, a societal and a generational problem um, that is starting to shift though. And more and more men are coming to this work. Uh, and fortunately, our, our women have been leading the way. And it's much more common for, for women to, to feel and to go into this heart space and to, to do this work. Um, and now men are, men are catching up in that way. I mean, what you're describing about suppressing emotions and this, you know, having to be tough and keeping it together. Is that part of the generational trauma that you are, you know, feeling like this is what you want to help the world with healing? Definitely. Uh, it's one of them. And it's definitely one of the common ones uh, for men. And in, uh, in a slightly different way, but similar way for women as well. Um, there is many expressions that women are taught. They're not allowed to feel or express or share. Uh, and so, yeah, I think it is a universal generational uh, story that keeps getting passed down from generation to generation. And uh, when we're children, we don't have a choice. <laughs> we just follow that story. We follow that script. Uh, but now as adults and we're uh, teaching people how to parent themselves, we're showing them in a way that they now have a choice. They now have a choice to tell themselves a different story uh, and to rewrite um, what it means to, to feel. Mm -hmm. And that, what do you feel is for women, but of course, also from your perspective, for men, the, you know, the most common or the most common generational traumas that you have observed? Mm. Uh, I'd say for women, it's safety and it's not feeling safe in their bodies. And so uh, there, there's suppression in the same way, um, but it's more from a place of literally checking out and going into like their imagination or just not, not feeling safe, not feeling held. Um, and so it, it's kind of where we need the masculine or we need someone that can hold that uh, permission, that safe place, that womb space um, to, to move through and feel through whatever is there and know for the first time that it's safe to be back in our bodies. 
I mean, I often have uh, scenes with his clients that were abused, that they were leaving their bodies during the abuse. Mm -hmm. But you're saying that there is a general sense, even without abuse, that it's not safe to be in the body? Mm -hmm. Yeah, because um, even if I wasn't abused as a woman, um, when my when my grandmother gave birth to my mother, my mother, that baby already had me inside. You know, as a woman, you're born with all the eggs that you're going to have. And so whatever trauma my grandmother experienced generationally gets passed through her womb, through her mom mm -hmm. into me. And so it's not even whether I was traumatized, abused, or whether my mother was, but it goes, especially for women, as far back as our grandmothers. And for my grandmother, she was the only survivor in the Holocaust. Mm. So lost six siblings and her parents. And I, I know that she didn't have the, the, the tools, the emotional capacity to truly feel through that level of grief that she experienced and that for her being a, a teacher, a school teacher was her way of finding joy. She just poured herself into her students. Mm -hmm. Right. And then my mother just suppresses it. And so for me, part of what I have moved through in this lifetime, um, in, in my 16 years of being in, in self-development, um, is, is that, is that grief is that, trauma that my ancestors went through. Wow. Now, uh, Chris, do you have a sense that, uh, you know, there are different blocks uh, when it comes to this uh, healing uh, also in age of your clients? I mean, let's say your younger clients may experience uh, these blocks as you know, maybe completely different and older generations cannot really understand what the big deal is. I mean, have you ever noticed any of those, uh, you know, differences in your workshops? Mm, definitely. And I think what it is more than anything is that our belief systems, uh, they just get stronger as we prove them right over and over again. And so when we, when we believe something, the mind is just seeking evidence to make it true. And so we find it, and then that reinforces the belief. It makes it stronger in the body. It makes it stronger in, in your belief system. And so the older someone is, generally, the more practice they have with ingraining their beliefs as, as truth. And it's not true. It's just a belief that they're holding to be true. And so the younger someone is, the less uh, repetition there's been. And so sometimes it's a little bit easier to see the identity as flexible because when we're younger, we're, we're still finding ourselves. We're still flexible in a way, but more often than not, the older people get, the more they believe themselves, this is just the way I am. <laughs> this is just me. Um, and it's not true at any age. It's just we tend to believe it is. So I think that's the the biggest, biggest difference. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And then there's also the conversation around different generations having different normals. That in itself gives people different levels of permission. So someone that was 
someone that was born like like my parents or, or in their 70s, um, this conversation wasn't happening when they were my age. And now I'm surrounded by people in my circles that are having the conversations around healing trauma and rewriting these these parental limiting beliefs. And so for me, it's completely normal. And for people even younger than me, it's getting more and more normal because they're being raised by people my age. So I think that that snowball effect is going to continue to happen. And I mean, that's ultimately what we're here for is to lead the way in that, um, to, to normalize that conversation. So it sounds like, you know, this was another topic that you were uh, really want to focus on the normalization of healing. So that sounds like healing is not something that's accepted in society, in your opinion, or what, what do you observe that, you know, we don't talk about our problems, we just, uh, you know, deal with them ourselves, or what do you feel about the necessity to normalize healing? Yeah, I, I actually spent, I'll use an example, I spent well over a decade in the fitness and wellness space as a coach and uh, almost universally people are looking for the quickest way to get to the outcome and in our emotional space so our physical body and emotional body operate a lot of the same way in our emotional space many people are just conditioned they they learned to find the quickest way out of the emotion which is oftentimes like we said earlier suppressing it or distracting with either substances or sex or technology screens and just all the different distractions that are on overload in our life um, or we we create some protector to get out of that emotion quickly uh, when when we do that, we're not actually feeling. And so we're not actually healing what's there. We're just escaping it in a way. We're getting out of it as quickly as possible, but it lingers and it lingers and it actually gets stronger if we don't deal with it. And so when we're talking about healing, we're talking about the leaning into it, the going into whatever's there and not just how it's showing up today, but where did this come from? Why is this now something that you are experiencing in your adult life? And what, what we believe in the work that we do, it's most of it happened between zero and seven when children have most of their development, their emotional development. So that's what we go into. So Annette, when you are working with, let's say, women that don't feel safe in their bodies, but, uh, you know, they have no memory what happens between zero and seven, no idea, all kind of blocked out. How do you help them access these potential root causes? Yeah, beautiful. So first off, you don't need the memory. The body does keep the score. <laughs> the, the cellular, you know, there's a book called The Body Keeps the Score that yeah. talks about this. The, the cellular memory is there and, um, and, and, and it speaks in energy, it speaks in sensation. It, speaks in felt sense of, uh, you know, temperature, color, texture, size, like if you really tune in, um, there's, there's sensations there. Uh, there's a practice that I coined priming safety, just like when you are going to repaint a wall, 
from blue to white, you'd have to put primer on it first. Same thing to go from where as a society, we mainly operate and live in our mind and try and fix and figure everything out up here or compartmentalize it to um, trusting and allowing the, the inner wisdom, the body wisdom to know that our bodies are brilliant. They know exactly what to do. They know exactly how to heal. When you burn your finger or cut yourself, it's not your mind that's doing it. It's, it's healing it. It's not the ointment or the Band-Aid or the ice pack. It's, it's the sensations that are there. It's the quote unquote pain that signals to the body, oh, this area <laughs> needs attention. This area needs healing. And so our bodies are brilliant and there just needs to be that reconnection from um, from living in our minds to trusting and letting the body guide first. And so this practice is called priming safety. And it's uh, really three, three parts of, first off, if you feel safe, how do you sit compared to when a person is scared, they sit like all curled up like a ball. So telling your body, signaling, starting to signal your body that I'm safe by sitting open, palms up, spine straight, and then, and then breathing. How does one breathe when they're scared? They don't. They either hold their breath or they shallow breathe into their chest. So deep belly breaths. And starting with an exhale of all the old air. So you could take that first deep inhale into your belly. And again, that starts to signal to the mind and the body like safety. And then lastly, occupying the monkey mind or tuning into a different radio station. Because normally when something gets triggered, the mind is saying, you know, oh no, not again. How can I stop this? Or um, this is painful. This is scary. I can't do this. And instead repeating to yourself, I'm safe. I'm safe to be in my body. I'm safe to feel. I'm safe to experience this. And so for, especially for men and women that tend to leave their body that have that much of a mm -hmm. dissociation it's going to take some time of just sitting in that practice of sitting that way, breathing that way and repeating that to yourself and, um, and starting to reconnect to that. So that's one of the tools that we help with. There's also just the, the, the reconnection to the inner child and how to relate to, to your emotions as sensations because emotions is like oh i'm happy i'm horny yay more of that please i'm you know i'm in pain i'm anxious i'm scared oh no how do i make this stop and so getting away from labeling it as an emotion and seeing well where in my body am I experiencing this joy? Where am I experiencing this sadness? Where am I experiencing this anxiety? And what does it feel? What's the felt sensation? What's the size of it? Does it have a temperature, a color, a texture, a weight to it? And so there's no judgment there. They're just sensation. And so both of those practices of learning to feel safe and then being able to track what you're feeling 
helps to get to wherever that cellular memory is, whether mm. you have the memory from childhood or not. The other thing is that even if you don't have the memory, but you know that there was some belief that you learned there, but you don't remember time, you can make it up. You can imagine, imagine mom, if what you learn be busy, um, imagine your mom when you were young, what, what did you see? Oh, like you may not remember a particular time where she was running around the house. You may not remember an exact memory, but you could imagine one and the body does not know the difference between imagination and reality. And so you can tap into it that way as well. I love it how you are interchangeably using body and subconscious kind of as the one that they are yeah. really and ultimately having a dance together. So there's definitely yeah, it, transference absolutely. that happens all the time. But yeah, what, I, not, what I'm wondering about, you know, this, which is beautiful, you don't have to remember but how does that then, you know, the generational healing come into this when you are, you know, really focusing on just your body? Is it not necessary to look back into what has been passed down, whether it's beliefs or traumas, or is that also something that you in your work just say, hey, we don't know, but let's just uh, create a story that we can heal? Yeah, um, it's a great question. Um... And I just lost my train of thought. <laughs> it's going to come back. Don't worry. Yeah. Um, what was the question again? The question Whoa, was about really generational <laughs> healing. So when you are oh, focusing yes. on your sensations and your body, but you know yeah. it's something that has Got been it. passed down, how do you yeah. then make that leap to those generations? So it's all already there. And most likely when someone starts to work with us, they're not going to start with the biggest trauma that they have. Um, they're going to build their nervous system's capacity to handle that experience. And so we're going to start with whatever shows up. I mean, we have we have a framework. We have specific areas of development that we look at from what you learned from mom, which is all about your relationship to self in the areas of expressing your needs and wants, your limits and boundaries, your self-esteem, your connection to yourself. And so each one of these modules helps to bring up certain beliefs that you learned, certain experiences that you had. Um, life will also present things and then there's what you know, like we have clients that come into our work knowing and being ready to admit what they've been hiding. Like I was sexually abused, right? We have a few clients in our current group now that just three weeks into our 13 week program felt like they could let go of the shame and open up about that to the whole group and to really start the process. Now, just because they're admitting it doesn't mean that they're ready to heal that in, in that call. It means that they're willing to admit. And my recommendation to both of them currently is build your capacity to really be able to face this one. Mm, yeah. So they know it's there. 
Um, but they, you know, yeah, it's, it's building that practice. It's, it's like a great analogy that actually one of them, one of them gave, or, or maybe it was Chris that said it, you don't join a gym and, you know, start with picking up, you know, two, 200 pounds, right? You have to build, build your way up to that. It's the same thing with our nervous system and with our consciousness. Yeah. Well, you know, that brings me to actually the awareness question, because I think, you know, like you mentioned, these people finally were willing to admit. And Chris, what, what do you feel like is, you know, for all the listeners sitting at home saying, well, that sounds all nice and good, but do I really need that? Do I really need to transform? Is there really something for me to heal? And that's the beauty about denial, right? We are just uh, keep on cruising along, thinking life is great, but somehow there is maybe something inside of us that says the opposite. So what are kind of typical signs that you see in, in your clients that would say, okay, you know what, why don't you just uh, look for help? That's a great question. It's actually my personal story. And one that I imagine many people resonate with is living in a, a bubble of perceived or artificial comfort. We've just shrank down our world to only live in the places that feel comfortable. And anything outside of that is uncomfortable. And so many people aren't ready yet to look at there or, or go there. It's unknown. And I think for many, many, many people, myself included, it just took the right amount of pain and discomfort for me to finally say, like, okay, it's time for a change. It's time to finally look at this thing because the, the pain of staying where I'm at is less than the pain of going into this unknown. But what kind of pain did you have? Yeah. So for me, I experienced all of the above. So uh, it started with physical breakdowns. At 30 years old, my body just started having these repetitive and unexplainable injuries where uh, I had identified myself as a fit, active person. And that was starting to dissolve. And so that part of my identity, I had to look at and say, I'm, old, I'm only 30. I have a whole life ahead of me. What happens if I can't do this anymore? So that was the first identity that started breaking down. The next one was uh, around my, my mental state. I found myself in this downward awareness spiral where I was doing so much personal development and I was consuming so much information that it was getting me more and more aware of my patterns, of the things that were holding me back. And they all came back to me though. And so I was just getting more frustrated and more fed up. Every book I read, I was just getting more angry. And, and I was like, why can't I fix it? That was the question that came, came. I was like, I know what's happening here. Like, why in my mind? And so it was like this mental battle that was unwinnable. And so that led to almost like a giving up in my mind and admitting that, oh, maybe... I don't have all the answers or I'm not going to figure it all out. Um, and so that was the mental breakdown. And then the, the emotional breakdown was when I had a realization that I, by 30 years old, I had checked all the boxes of what I said I wanted to do with my life. And I had accumulated all the things and all the titles and the achievements that I said I wanted, yet there was still a gaping hole in me. And there was a, a a lack of what I thought would be there, which was, which was joy and happiness and fulfillment and just pure love. And all of that was missing. And instead I was just every, 
um, every time I felt that hole, it was okay. How can I go out and do more, achieve more, find more things to fill it. And then it finally got to this breaking point to where I realized at the emotional levels, like, I can't fill this hole. And maybe that's not the answer. And so for me, there was pain in the body, there was pain in the mind, and there was pain when I finally started tapping into my emotions. And all that added up to what people refer to as the rock bottom or the dark night of the soul. It was just the moment where I was like, okay, there's got to be another way. And for me, that was enough discomfort. And it was a lot. Don't get me wrong. Like it was a lot. I was self-sabotaging many areas of my life. At that point, when I did this program, I was over $600,000 in business debt. And I just kept pushing and pushing, but finally enough was enough for me. <laughs> and everyone has their own breaking point. Everyone has their own bottom. Um, and one of the analogies that I love that I say all the time is that we're constantly, be, we're given these signals. The universe sends us signs and we get them in our, in our body and in our in intuition. And they come in three forms, the feather, the brick, and the Mack truck. The feather, you're just walking down the sidewalk and maybe a feather falls in your hair. Some people might notice it. Most people don't. They just keep going about their life. And then you keep walking and you get hit with a brick in the chest. And this is like the, oh, wow, you should pay attention to this. This is, this is something you want to look at. And then if you're stubborn, like I used to be, you're like, no, no, I'm good. I'm going this way. And then more bricks keep coming, more bricks keep coming. And then one day you're walking across the, the crosswalk and a, a Mack truck just levels you. And that's the, that's the one that you can't ignore. That's like the major life experience. And so I encourage people, it's hard to do without experiencing it, but start to listen to the bricks and then start to become so sensitive that you can feel the feathers, those little subtle signs that say, hey, you're a little out of integrity here, a little out of alignment. Let's make a little change here. So once you get to that point, it's, it's not as hard to make the changes, but initially when you're getting hit by bricks and max truck, it's uncomfortable and it's painful. And sometimes, unfortunately, that's what some people need. They need their apocalypse. I know. And the rock bottom, unfortunately, is, you know, this point of, you know, let's make a U-turn. But uh, I think, you know, the mission of all of us that are in the helping field is to not have people to go there, but raise the awareness. Now, Anad, what would you say is one of the things that you teach people in regards to be more aware? You know, just to be more connected to their to themselves so that they don't have to be in this stubborn one way road that, you know, ends up to be a dead end. Yeah, so it's actually a, a stage beyond awareness and it's acceptance. I think that's where people struggle the most. People become aware. Uh, people are aware. Um, they're just in denial of whatever it is. Right. They don't want it to be there. They want to fix it. They want to medicate it. They want to numb it. They want it to change. And so awareness isn't really the issue as much as the, the and I say this because like our clients come to us and there's awareness there. It's, it's what had them sign up and where they need support is what I call stage two of transformation, uh, which is truly accepting it. Like there's no judgment, there's nothing to fix, there's nothing to change, there's just accepting that, yeah, this is it. Yes, you are having this experience or this did happen to you. 
and the surrender that that our body then goes through when you just when you're not fighting anymore you're not fighting to change it you're not resisting it you're just fully surrendered is it could finally learn how to integrate it learn how to come back to wholeness with it it's not to be changed or fixed it's 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 to be it, it's to build the capacity to be with it because it may never shift. Um, for those that have experienced a lot of big T trauma, you could you could move through the grief of it and the anger of it and all of it. And I know this um, from my own experience, I can always tap into it. I was actually sharing with a friend last night at dinner and I got moved to tears. Like I could always reconnect to that part but I know that I'm safe to feel it and that it's okay that there's always going to be a bit of grief right there, that there's sadness there, that there's a question of why and anger there, but it, I, yeah, it's, it's, it's a part of me. So I'd say that's, that's the key part is acceptance, true, true acceptance. You know, I also feel like that it's important for this part to have compassion. You know, it's uh, for for me, at least when it comes to acceptance, if I relate to something that got traumatized or got mistreated or anything like that, if I can really see it from another place with great love and compassion, it just is automatically, you know, in itself an integration what happens. Then. But I love what you're saying about acceptance which often is misunderstood. You know, when you yeah. described acceptance, you basically say this is a state of surrendering before then this integration, healing, wholeness, transformation happens. But often I see this with clients that acceptance is like, okay, I just have to live with that. You know, it's almost yeah. like, again, the, the stage to going back into, why should I look at it if I cannot change it, you know, where they feel powerless yeah. with acceptance. And yeah, it's nothing to change, nothing to fix, only to be with it, like you said, with love and compassion and curiosity, yeah. bringing curiosity, get familiar, get to know it, because it's a part of you and there's, it's not going away. <laughs> so you want to become whole, stop separating from parts of yourself. Well, I have one last question for both of you and maybe Chris, you start because what you just mentioned, and I think the whole healing that uh, you focus on cannot happen without opening the heart. And so what would be, you know, let's say for anyone sitting at home and saying, you know, I have been a little bit in my head too much and maybe my, my walls around my heart are awfully high and thick. What are, ways that you, Chris, are teaching people to open the heart and the same question then also for Anat. Yeah, such a great question. And I, I view our, our heart as like our truest self that's buried down deep beneath, beneath, like you said, many walls and masks and layers. And the practice of getting in touch with it and the practice of listening to it, of, of being guided by it, is one of stripping away all the things that are not you. It's, it's a process of stripping away the not self. So all those labels and those identities and all those masks that we wear. And uh, to do that requires uh, so much safety. 
so much safety in yourself, so much safety in, in if you're doing it with another, a practitioner or a coach or, or facilitator, safety in there to, to continue to strip away those layers. Because every time we remove something, uh, that's, it feels like uh, we're losing a part of ourselves. And there's oftentimes a grieving process with that to get to it. But, but unlike the, the inner judge that we all have, or unlike that ego that drives many of us, the heart is very quiet. It's very subtle. It doesn't speak uh, in, in, in yelling at you the way that some of our inner voices do in our head. Uh, and so it takes a lot of quieting down both your inner self and your outer world to start to hear it to start to even just acknowledge that it exists. There's another voice in there that wants to speak. And oftentimes you first have to unleash and let go of a lot of things you've been carrying onto, a lot of the baggage that you're currently holding at first has to let go of. We say the, the, the access to the heart is through the inner child. It's through the emotions. It's through the feeling. And once those are no longer running the show, you can almost like be free to pay attention to the heart. And so safety, stillness, slowing down your breath, slowing down your life and removing distractions. Uh, it's like if you, if you were at a, a stadium of 100,000 people and someone was whispering to you from 20 feet away, could you hear them? Absolutely not. But if you were in dead stillness, of of the woods and there was just the sounds of the crickets chirping and they were you can literally hear the wind whisper you can you can hear every blade of grass bend and so that's the that's what's required to really start tapping into your heart is creating that type of internal and external environment and as we all know that's very uncomfortable at the beginning especially if you are really used to living in the stadium with a hundred thousand people but uh, Anad, what would you say? What's a nice pathway for you to open the heart? Yeah, so uh, Chris touched on this a bit. The access to the heart is through the inner child. And uh, I want everyone to think of their inner child as their emotions. So anytime you're experiencing any emotion, good or bad, as we say, um, this is, this is your inner child speaking to you. And some of you listen, some of you listeners are parents and, um, some of you are aunties and uncles, uh, or just imagine, imagine you're a child, close your eyes and imagine your younger self walking into the room and, and, speaking to you and expressing that emotion like i'm i'm scared or i'm really upset what does that child really need what would be effective in that moment would it be to say to that child um well you're okay you're fine or tell me why why do you feel this way why why the child would probably just start screaming even more and <laughs> uh, really what that child needs is just love compassion and curiosity tell me more come here let me hold you in my arms yeah you're safe it's okay and so people want to access more of their heart start to relate to your emotions as your own little child 
So close your eyes, picture that child walking into the room. That child is the one that's feeling this way. What do you need to give that child in that moment so that that child feels safe, loved, and ready to play again? The reason we say your inner child is your access to your heart is if you've ever been around children, they could go from you know being upset and having a tantrum and being sad. And if you give them what they need in that moment, they'll move through it in about 90 seconds. And then what do they want to do? let's go play. And they forget about it. It's done. It's gone. It's history. They access their imagination again. They access their desire to play again. And so the same thing, we want to access our heart, access our our creativity, our courage, um, our desire to be out in the world. Then you need to feel through all that other stuff. You need to hold yourself in your emotions. Beautiful. Well, thank you so much uh, for all your wisdom and uh, these wonderful tools. Uh, how can people contact you, join your camps and your teachings? How do they find you? Well, one has to speak. <laughs> so far, <laughs> yeah, so the best way uh, is to go to trainingcampforthesoul.com. They'll find out uh, all the programs that we run from our 13 week virtual to our retreats. And we're also hosting uh, an upcoming two day event where we're teaching all the secret sauce. We're going to be giving people the experience uh, of what it's like to do this work uh, coming up in July 26 and 27. So trainingcampforthesoul.com is the best place to find us. And then the same thing on Instagram, trainingcampforthesoul.com. And then each of our individual names, we share a lot of, uh, I think it's good, good stuff on uh, Instagram. Well, thank you. I checked out your Instagram and I checked out your website. It looks really, really enticing. So I'm sure a lot of people can benefit from what you have to offer. So reach out, training camp for the soul. And again, thank you, Anad. Thank you, Chris, for everything you're doing. And uh, let's connect soon again. Yeah.